through the book of Exodus, um, deals with the nation of Israel's deliverance from uh, Egyptian slavery and bondage and, and their journey and travel into the promised land. And um, we're here now in chapter 25. So I'm going to pray for our time together. I'm also going to pray for um, that amber alert or whatever that is. And one other uh, message that I have uh, as far as an announcement. Natalie Camarello, um, Camarello who uh, has gone to our fellowship for many years, uh, we prayed for her last Sunday. She passed away Monday morning at 4.30. She's now with Jesus in heaven. And um, I visited with her kids this weekend, and there's a memorial service set up here, a celebration of life. Uh, it'll be here at the church on Friday at 1 o'clock. You're all invited um, to help us remember Natalie and to be a comfort to her family. And um, it'll be at 1 o'clock. We'll have the service here, and then there'll be refreshments to follow. So uh, if you'd like to come and uh, remember Natalie and her life that God gave her here, um, and then to be a comfort to her, to her kids and to um, their children as well, um, please join us. You're all invited. Um, let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to come and be uh, together um, with our brothers and sisters um, in you, um, that you've called us to be a family. Lord, you've made us a family through um, the union that we have as a result of our faith in the sacrifice that you made and a faith in who you are as the Son of God, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, to come to redeem us and to forgive us and to pay the debt for our sins, Lord. We thank you for that. And Lord, we look forward to the other promises that you've given us as your children, uh, the promises of eternal life, the hope of your return. And Lord, as we live and wait expectantly for that and study your word together today and to worship you, I pray, God, that you would encourage us. I pray, God, that you would build us up with the truth of what your word says. And we would see, God, that it's living and powerful, your word, and sharper than any two-edged sword. It can penetrate into our hearts and our minds. And we, know, we trust, God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, it'll go forth and, and take root and, and bring forth the result that you desire in us. And God, we want to be more like Jesus. Um, we want to know you more. And God, that's why we've gathered together. So speak to your people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. When we ended last week, before we read on here, just so you know, we, if you were here, we ended somewhat abruptly as we were finishing chapter 24 and moving into chapter 25. And we were talking about... Um, how God was now fulfilling His promise to the children of Israel to be their, to, to be their God. And God had already fulfilled several of the promises that He had made. It had been spoken to Moses about delivering His people out of Egyptian bondage. Um, some promises will still be yet to made. He's made them His people. He's entered into this covenantal agreement with them. He's given them the law. And, and now God is fulfilling another aspect of this promise to be their God. And how God would do this um, um, was by coming into their camp to dwell with them, to live among them, uh, to be with his people. But in order to do this, God was in need of two things. We talked about this briefly. He was in need of a place to dwell, and he was in need of servants to minister to him in that place. And in calling Moses, as we looked at last week, back up Mount Sinai in order to come into God's presence, God was taking care of these two needs, 
in, 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 in making a way for this promise to be fulfilled um, by giving Moses this command and the instructions and the plans for the tabernacle. And also uh, in regards to the command to set aside the tribe of Levi um, as priests, uh, holy set apart unto him to serve him. And in the building of the tabernacle and in the, in, in the ordaining of the Levitical priesthood is what's recorded for us in the remaining chapters of the book of Exodus from chapters 25 on through to chapter 40. Now, as Moses answered the call to go back up the mountain, to come back up Mount Sinai, as God summoned him, he also brought with him other people, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of the children of Israel. Yet what we read when we come to the end of that chapter is that it was only Moses, that Moses was the only one who went all the way up the mountain and into the cloud, and it was there that he was in the presence of God, where, he, where it says that he, he entered into the cloud, which was the glory of the Lord, and then saw the glory of the Lord. And in light of this, we talked about how we, you and I, have a call also, that God summoned us, and, and that, that we're, as those who have been called and those who have been summoned, we're, we're, we, we need to continue to grow in our own worship experience with the Lord. And what I mean by worship experience is not just singing um, songs of worship together on Sunday morning. The, the, the actual definition to worship is a, is a life that is lived in submission to God, where, we, where everything is surrendered to Him, where He's truly our Lord and our Master, and we His servant. And as we, as we, as we continue to grow in our own worship, of, worship experience with the Lord, as we talked about that last week, I pointed out that we're the ones that get to choose how far we're going to climb. And we saw that illustration as we saw Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders and even Joshua, who wasn't mentioned initially, but was seen there with Moses, that they all kind of stopped at different levels on the mountain, at different altitudes, if you will, as, as, as Moses continued on and continued on and continued upward. And we get to choose how far we're going to go, how close, you guys, how close we're going to come to God. And, that, and, and, and that, that what, what determines that is our willingness to submit our lives to Him our hearts, our minds, everything. That's why the Bible says, you know, what does the Lord require of thee, you know? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. And then Jesus himself in the New Testament summarized the whole law and said, you know, it's down to these two things, guys. Love your neighbor as yourself and love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Be submitted to him humbly before him. And so we get to determine how close, but what, what stands in the way is our desires, our wants, our will, our flesh. And, and God says, he summons us to leave those things behind and come up closer to him, come up closer to him. And because we now enter into God's presence, the Bible tells us, through the blood of Jesus Christ, it says, by a new and living covenant, by a new and living way, it says that he has consecrated for us that we should come to God with full assurance. And we talked about how our things that inhibit us, things that hold us back from coming to God, our own fears, our own failures. But God says, because you can come through the work that Jesus has done, how he's established that through the veil of his flesh, we can come through full assurance and trust, full confidence, and trust that when we draw near to him, he's going to draw near to us. And when we draw near to God, guys, we should expect to experience exactly what Moses experienced there in the cloud on top of the mountain as he was with God. We can expect to experience what, God, what Moses experienced. And when Moses, it tells us, continued up the mountain, 
and entered into the cloud, which was the manifestations of God's glory, it says that he waited in his presence for six days. He waited. And then on the seventh day, the Lord spoke to him. And it was here where Moses remained. It says for 40 days and for 40 nights. And during that time, God gave Moses the plans for the tabernacle, the plans for the priesthood. And the point is, is as we draw near to God, we should also expect that part of our experience, part of our worship experience and drawing near to God, living our lives in submission to Him, is that we should, we should expect that we're also going to wait on Him. You might go, what was the reason for the six days of waiting before God spoke? And there's a purpose in that. And, and, and the number one purpose is in waiting on God, if you've ever done that, you know where you are and what you're doing? You're resting in His presence. Waiting on God is resting in His presence, first and foremost. And waiting on God, however, is more than an opportunity to rest in His presence, as we see this also accounted to us by what happens with Moses on the mountain. Because as we worship or as we worship. God by waiting on him. And, and really, our worship of God or our waiting on God is an act of worship, right? Our waiting on God is an act of worship. Why? Because we're waiting for God then to do whatever it is that we need. We're not taking matters into our own hands, into our own minds even. And if you've ever been there, you know exactly what I mean, where you're trying to figure it out, where you're, even your mind and your thoughts are not in submission to God. Your mind and your thoughts are not in worship of God. You're not resting or waiting in His presence. And when we worship God by waiting on Him, guys, God will open our eyes so that we might know Him more. That's another, that's another um, aspect of waiting on God is when we wait on Him in His presence, not only do we experience rest, but we come to know Him more. And in and, and, and coming to know Him more, what we see is that He is... He, we, we see, we come to realize that, that He's made everything available to us. And I love the book of Colossians because that's the main message of the book of Colossians is that in Christ we have everything that we need. He's our all in all. We're thoroughly complete in Him. And when we wait in His presence as an act of worship, we come to realize that God will provide and meet everything that we need. Why? Because He is God the provider, God the protector, Jehovah, whatever the name you want to fit in there, healer, on and on and on. When we, then we can only discover that by waiting in His presence, allowing Him to do the work revealing himself to us, moving in our lives, acting on our behalf. Furthermore, when we wait on God as an act of worship, with the mind of worship, okay, because lots of times we can wait on God and not have a mind of worship. We can have a, a, a spirit of anxiety, a spirit of fear, a spirit of worry, a spirit of impatience. <laughs> Come on, God. Got a plan here. You need to get on board. And, and, and when, we, when, we, when we decide and choose to, to wait on God as an act of worship and with a mind of worship, what happens is, is, is it penetrates into our mind and we also achieve or receive a greater understanding of the depth of God's love for us. And that by, that by chance is, is perhaps the most important thing, is understanding the depth of God's love for us. 
And in doing so, we're better prepared, and this is what it really boils down to, because ultimately, whether or not there's a specific event or situation in your life where you're waiting for God or waiting on God, right, that ultimately you can set aside all of those things, and we as believers are in a waiting game, the Bible tells us. And that's, the, that's why I love prophecy, because prophecy shows me how much longer I got to wait. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm not a good waiter. I'm just going to admit it to you, confess it to you. When there's like four or five people in the line at Walmart or anywhere else, it, it just something happens inside here. It's not good. But guys, we're ultimately waiting. And when we wait on God as an act of worship, as it, with a mindset of worship, you know what? We're better prepared for the waiting that lies ahead. As we, as, as, and, and the waiting that we, we, we enter into and are in as long as we live on this earth with the hopeful expectation of Jesus' return and, and also the, hopeful, uh, the hopefulness that we place in the promise of eternal life, that resurrection that we're going to receive. And the fact of the matter is, is that waiting on and resting in the presence of the Lord is a wonderful aspect of worship that we often miss out on simply because of the busyness of this life that we live right? Because the, the, this life can distract us and tempt us and even rob us from what is best. And what's best? Waiting on the Lord. But I got to do this, but I got to go there. I got to do, I got to, this person needs that. And, and, and all of these things and all of these reasons that can come in, the world pressures us to, 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 to rob us, to tempt us and distract us from that, that worshipful place of waiting on the Lord. And waiting in the presence of the Lord is best because in those times, God, guys, God will tell us um, about his will for our lives. That's why I desire to know. I desire to know God's will for my life. Not only that, not only will he tell us about his will for our lives, he'll tell us about the work that he wants to do in and through our lives. And I'm grateful because when I wake up and I see myself in the mirror, or in the mirror of God's Word as I study it, I see that there's a lot left to still be done. A lot of Sean that God still needs to work out, and a lot of Jesus that still needs to be worked in. And when I wait in the presence of God, He tells me about that, about His, His work that He still wants to do in my life so that He can do a work through my life. And lastly, as we wait upon the Lord and worship in those times, with a heart of worship, with a mind of worship, in, in, that, in that waiting in His presence, God provides us, guys, with the, His plans for our lives. And the Bible tells us that He's had a plan for our life from before we were even created. He said He knew us while we were still in our mother's womb. And in that, in that, in that time, in that space, in that moment, God said, I have a plan for you. And He has a plan for our lives today. Often it's kind of... Um, uh, people refer to that as the story that God's writing with your life, right? A plan. And when we understand that there's a plan, we understand that there's intentionality behind it. We're not just going through this life and, and God willy-nilly is going, okay, today let's see what I can do with you and for you and in you. God knows. He has a plan. And when we wait in His presence as an act of worship, God provides us with His plan for our lives. And when God finally spoke to Moses, there on the mountain, this is what he did, is he revealed his plans. And in chapter 25, guys, if you look there, let's read, it says in verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with my heart, or willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. Whose offering is it? The Lord's. How should you give it? Willingly. From who? From anyone who's willing to give it. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, purple, or blue, purple, and scarlet thread of fine linen and goat's hair, ram skin dyed red, badger skin and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them." When you come to certain verses, certain passages of Scripture, it should, it should hit you right between the eyes. That is an amazing statement, an amazing, powerful verse. I think that can often be overlooked. Think about it in the context of the Almighty God, the great I Am. The, that's how God had been revealing Himself and showing Himself to the Egyptian people and to, his, to, the, to the children of Israel up to this time. All-powerful, almighty, fearful and wonderful. And what does he say here? And let them make me a sanctuary, this God, the one true living God, that I may dwell among them. Guys, and we have, we talked about this last week, we have such a greater access to God than the children of Israel ever had through the tabernacle and through the temple and the, through the Levitical priesthood as God would come and dwell and live among his people. We've been given such a greater blessing as it says that the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us when we put our faith in him. Not only God with us, but God in us, the creator. It's mind-blowing when you think about who God is and what he can do, and yet he says, I want to be with you. And it's such a simple verse, but it's such a powerful thing that should not be overlooked. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Think about somebody who you look up to, someone you respect, someone you admire, someone famous. And they're like knocking on your door. I think about Zacchaeus as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. And Zacchaeus, a wee little man, a wee little man was he, right? Climbed up the sycamore tree to see what he could see. And he saw Jesus, and he had to climb because he couldn't see over the crowds. And what Jesus said, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he said, come down, because today I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus was honored. He was blessed. He couldn't believe it. He was blown away that Jesus would come to commune with him, to eat with him, to fellowship with him. This wonderful teacher, God in the flesh, healer, a mighty man. And when we think about that awesomeness that we receive as God says to each one of us, I'm going to come to your house today. I want to hang out with you today. When you wake up in the morning and God is there and He wants to speak to you. It's mind-blowing. And it says in verse 9, and just to emphasize the importance of all of this, God says, tell this to the children of Israel, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the furnishings, just so you shall make it. Just so you shall make it. In other words, God had a plan. And God's telling him, okay, I'm going to give you this plan. You need to collect these things. Tell the people what I'm going to do. Tell them what it's for, right? But, but also, do it exactly as I say. Exactly as I say. Now, 
this is a pretty cool passage of Scripture. And, and whenever God does a work, because that's what God's getting ready to do. He's getting ready to do a work in order to fulfill a promise. And those things always go together, whether it's, it's a, a promise that He's revealed to us personally or, or, or corporately or to a family member or these things that we pray for. When God reveals a promise, you know what that means? He's going to do a work to bring that promise to pass. And God has this promise to, be, to, 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 to become the children of Israel's God, and he already was. It's just, we're going to make this, we're going we're to make this part of the covenantal agreement, and I'm, we're going we're gonna to seal this because I'm going to come and dwell with you. And God was going to come and do a work. And whenever God does work, guys, we can rest assured that he has a plan for that work. I know that sounds simple, but how often do God, does God give us a promise, tell us he's going to do a work, and we're like, well, how's he going to do it? And God's got a plan. And it's not a secret. He's going to make it known to us. And just like God had a plan for the building of the tabernacle and later a plan to build the temple, He also has a plan for the building of His church, a church just like ours. And a plan for the building of our individual lives. And a plan for the ministry that He provides for us. The good works that He calls us to walk in. And this is confirmed in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says this. It says, we are His workmanship. Think about that when God says, I'm going to do a work in you so that I might do a work through you. He says, he says I'm the artist and you're my art. I'm the musician and you're my song. It's an awesome thing. He says, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And here's the cool thing. It says, part of the plan which God prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. So God, as, so as God makes a plan known to us, we can't forget, we cannot forget that our part is this, to walk in it. Our part is to walk in accordance to His plan. Verse 9, doing everything that He's revealed to us, not adding to it as if we can do it better, not taking away from it as if, as if God didn't know what He was doing as He's given the plan to us. Our job is to walk in accordance to the plan that He's prepared beforehand for before us. And this was also true for Moses and the Hebrew people as God gave them His plan. And He also warned them of this right first in verse 9, but then look to the end of chapter. We're not going to make it there tonight, this morning, but in verse 40, it's reiterated. After He gives a little ways and speaks about some other things, He then says, See to it that you make according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. And guys, in light of our own walking in accordance of, to God's plan, that can seem like a very just Christianese kind of statement to make, right? As Christians, we walk in accordance to God's plan. And that could, you know, if you're just leaving it there, it can just kind of like go over your head and it's like, yeah, okay. But how? How? How do I walk in accordance to God's plan? When I began to think about that, I, I really searched it out, and I wanted to really give some practical, applicable things for our life, especially when we realize through the text the importance of it to doing things God's way and not our way. How do we live that out practically? What does God's Word say about it? And in light of this, I want to point out there are five things, if you're taking notes this morning, five things that will help us to do so. Five things in regards to God's Word. There's probably more, um, but there's five that I've come across. Five things to help us walk 
in accordance to God's plan. And this is the first thing, the first place. You've got to start here. The first thing that will help us walk in accordance to God's plan is we've got to trust in God's judgment. You've got to trust in God's judgment. Who here has ever, you don't have to raise your hand, but who here has ever worked for somebody that's just had bad judgment? How often do you want to do their plan? Especially if you're working in the construction industry or something like that, mining or, or fire, where, where, where your, your, your life is in that guy's hands. It's like, I'm not trusting that guy. He ain't, got, he ain't got good judgment. But you know what? When we don't walk in accordance to God's plan, which has been revealed to us and prepared for us from the beginning of time, that's really what we're saying is we're saying, I don't trust in your judgment. But that's the place you got to start. we got to trust in God's judgment. That's the first thing. And you know what? When we do so, we're strengthened. Trusting in God's judgment, and we're strengthened to do this, guys, when we remember this. We're strengthened to trust in God's judgment when we remember the nature of God's plan for us. What kind of plan does God have for you? Everyone, everyone has a, a different plan. We're all different. God doesn't call us all to the exact same thing. Maybe for the same purpose, but we all are a different aspect of the purpose that God calls us to, and for there's a different plan. But we need to remember the nature of God's plan for us. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, God himself says this. He says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. What's the nature of plan? Of his plan? He says, plans to prosper you and to not harm you plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, when we, don't, when we don't trust in God's judgment, we don't believe that to be true for our lives, the very things that God says. He says, he says I, got, I got a plan to prosper you, to not harm you, a plan of good for you, a future and a hope. So as believers, we can follow God's plan for us by trusting that He has a good plan for our lives. That He has everything in His control, right? Because that goes along with it. If He has a good plan for us, then He's not going to allow it to get out of control, His control. And furthermore, we can rest and trust that because it's a good plan for our lives with a future and a hope, that He's going to guide us exactly where we need to go or where He wants us to go. But guys, in addition to trusting in God's judgment, we also need to recognize, number two, that He's given each of us gifts and talents. Someone says, said it once like this, God gives us each a skill set, a set of skills. And, and that's the second thing, because when we realize that He's given us each gifts and talents, that, that these things, when we realize that then, then they are things that God has given us which enable us to walk in accordance to His plan. How do I walk in accordance to His plan? I trust in His judgment, and I realize that He's given me certain gifts and talents for the thing that He's called me to do. Right? And guys, not only is this truth brought forth in New, New Testament passages of Scripture like Romans chapter 12. There's many, but in Romans chapter 12, verse, verse 4, Paul writes about this in verses 4 through 6, and he says... He says, just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ, we in Christ, 
who are many form up one body. And each member belongs to another. And we have different gifts. He says, according to the grace given to us. In other words, God's given us those gifts as He sees fit. And then, and then Paul says this, so let us use them in proportion to our faith. And God gives us these gifts. He gives us these talents. He gives us these set of skill sets for the plan and the purposes that He's called us to so that we might walk in accordance to His plan. You know, this is also this, this, this idea of a skill set of being gifted and talented by God. It's also exemplified in Exodus chapter 35. Ten chapters from now, when the construction of the temple begins, when Moses comes back down, and we know when Moses comes back down, it's not initially going to be good because children of Israel got a little bit off track. He's got to go back up the mountain, but then he'll come back down and then they'll begin to create this place and this space for God and establish the priesthood. But in Exodus chapter 35, when that all begins, we read that during the construction phase of the tabernacle, it says that God killed, called men, killed, not killed, God called men, it says, who were skilled and gifted, skilled men, gifted men in various crafts, and then here's the key, and he filled them with his Holy Spirit giving them, it says, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Why? So that they could build the tabernacle in accordance to His plan. And at that point, and, and, and the point is, excuse me, is that God has given us also gifts. He's given us talents. He's given each one of us an individual, specialized skill set so that we can walk in accordance to His plan. Therefore, we must look to identify. You, you guys go, okay, some of us are like, well, what is it? I don't know. But what I know is that God gives each one of us, and if you seek it, he'll make it known to you. If you go to God and say, what is my gift? What is my talent? What have you equipped me with so that I can be a part of the construction phase in regards to your plan? God will make it known. And then if you don't know, Ask your spouse. If you, or if you still have doubts, then ask a spiritual leader, someone who knows you, that can be praying with you for God to reveal these things to you. Because sometimes that person in our life who has a spiritual understanding and, and an insight into our own lives can help us to identify that skill set. But we need to know and we need to trust that God has. Because in doing so, guys, we realize that we've been equipped, not only equipped as we read in, in, in Exodus chapter 35, but more importantly, empowered. God doesn't just give us a regular screwdriver that you've got to drive screws with a hand. He gives us a Makita electric drill, right? Cordless. Empowered, equipped and empowered by God for the work that He calls us to do. And we understand that God gives us, guys, the right tool for the right job. And when we understand that, you know what happens? We're confident. There's a confidence that comes that equips us to work in accordance to God, to walk in accordance to God's plan, where you go, I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. Look what God's given to me for this. So that we can be confident to be able to do the work, guys. Not in our own power, not in our own strength, not according to our own might, right? But according to the skill set and the equipping and the powering that God provides for us. And guys, when we talk about confidence, um, it points us to this third thing. To the third thing that helps us to walk in accordance to God's plan. 
Trusting his judgment, understanding that you have gifts and talents, a certain skill set, but also, thirdly, what helps us to walk in accordance to God's plan, it's, 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 it's simple, but it's, it's important, and it's, it's prayer. If you want to walk in accordance to God's plan for your life and doing things in the way that he set forth, not adding to or taking away, you know what has to happen? You have to be in prayer. And simply speaking, prayer is the means of communication by with which we stay connected to God. Prayer is the means of communication by which we stay connected to God. So, when we read in Exodus chapter 35 about these skilled men, not only we see that they had a skillful set, but the other part of it is says that the Holy Spirit filled them with all wisdom, understanding, and knowledge to be able to do these things. And so in staying connected to God, when we look to the book of James, it tells us that if we lack any wisdom, what do we do? We pray to God, who says that he'll give it to us freely. Let us ask, and he'll give it to us freely. And the truth, same, the same is also true in regards to our understanding and knowledge. And so if we lack wisdom, and if we lack any understanding, if we lack any knowledge in regards to any aspect of God's plan, we can ask him in prayer. And in John, 1 John chapter 1, it affirms this to us. Listen to it. It says in chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, we're told this. It says, this is the confidence that we have towards Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. It's not like God says, okay, here's the plan, go figure it out. You get it? It's, it's we trust His judgment that His plan is correct, that He knows what He's doing. He, he gives us the ability, the tools to do it, and, and, and then He guides us and empowers us through prayer as we go down the road. He walks by our side. And we have confidence. And so as we, as we honor God in prayer, we can rest assured Literally, we can have confidence. That's what that is. You want assurance as you go forward because it can be a scary thing walking in accordance to God's plan. It can. But you want to rest assured. You want to have peace in that moment and confidence. You can in prayer and you can trust that He will guide us, it says, according to His will. 1 John chapter 5. Now the fourth thing that enables us to walk in accordance to God's plan is love. I love this part. I love love. <laughs> in accordance to God's plan, if you want to be enabled to walk in accordance to God's plan, you have to keep love in it. And this is because love is always, always the foundation to all of God's plans. Why did God want to come and be with His people? Because he loved them. Why did he want a place to dwell with them? Because he loved them. Why did he want to establish the Levitical priesthood to have these mediators to serve there in the tabernacle for the people? Because he loved them. Because of love. It's the foundation for all of God's plans for us and also the foundation for the good works that he has prepared for us to walk in. What is it? It's love. 
What's the reason for the work that God calls you to? Ultimately, it's love. And we may very well be doing, here's the problem for somebody like me, I'm a type A personality and I like lists. I like lists that I can check off. Amen. Another type A personality. And I like order and structure and, and, and I want to get it done. I want to see those things on the list being done. And when God gives me the plan, I'm like, got it. And God goes, what about love? What about love? And see, we may, be very well, we may be very well doing all that the Holy Spirit has placed into our minds. But if we're only active in our mind, active in our mind, and leave our hearts behind, you know what? We're missing the point. I'm not going to walk in accordance to God's plan without love. Remember, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-3, through 3, it says this. It says, if I can speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, checking off my list, running people over. Got it done, God. And he goes on and he says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith, even so that I can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give away everything that I have, and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The point is, is we should never see God's plans and the good works that He has prepared for us to walk in as some kind of list of tax, tasks that we're supposed to do and just check off as completed. Rather, we should be active in God's plan while first looking to love those who we are coming in contact with. In other words, we should walk in accordance to God's plan and if we're going to walk in accordance to God's plan, in order to walk in accordance to God's plan, we have to keep our mind in the game, if you will, as well as our heart. We have to keep our mind engaged and our heart engaged in every moment of every opportunity that we have to do God's work. And if you guys have been around me long enough, you know that I can be guilty of this. I get about the task I forget about the person that God's called me to. I forget about the love. Lastly, if we're going to walk in accordance to God's plan, guys, we have to answer when He calls. We have to answer when He calls. And what does that mean? We've got to stop ignoring Him. We've got to stop making excuses. If we want to walk in accordance to His plan, we have to answer when He calls. And the fact of the matter is there's many opportunities to serve God every day. Many opportunities to walk in accordance to the, His plan, in accordance to the good works that He's prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. 
many opportunities to serve God, and he and 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 when he makes and when God makes a need known to us, you know what? He's going to give us what we need, but we still have to choose to take action. And here's the reason why we often don't answer the call. Because we understand that it's we're going to require a selfless and sacrificial act on our part in order to enter into the good work. You've heard me say it before, but you cannot do any kind of ministry without sacrifice. You go back to the Old Testament. That's what the whole sacrificial system was about. In order to commune with God, in order to fellowship with God, in order to have God working through us to do ministry, to serve Him, there has to be sacrifice. It can't be apart from one another. And in choosing to take action, we have to sacrificially and selflessly enter into the good work. Remember, it was Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 25, in regards to these opportunities, these times when God's knocking on our door, knocking on our hearts, knocking on our minds, calling us to enter into the good work. Jesus said this in Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40. He said, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, this is who we want to be. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? In other words, when did we answer that call? Right? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it, did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. In light of these words, guys, of Jesus, we need to understand that whenever we take the opportunity to serve another person, whenever we take an opportunity to serve somebody, we're serving God. We're answering the call. But when we refuse to take action when a need is made known and turn away without doing anything, then we've ignored God's call. It doesn't have to be this big, great, grandiose thing. It's an everyday occurrence in our lives. But we have to take off the blinders of of, of, of stinginess and the blinders of, of selfishness in order to see with our heart and with our mind. So trust in God's judgments. Trust in God's judgment. Realize that you've been given gifts and talents. Be in prayer. Be intentional to love and answer the call. Answer when God calls you, and you will be walking in accordance to His plan. Now, got a few minutes. As we begin to talk about the tabernacle, because that's what all this is leading up to, I want to point out that one of the reasons for why it is... I want to point out... We're going to close with this. One of the, the, the reason for why it's important to follow God's plan... And when we begin to talk about the tabernacle, what we realize when you study out Scripture, especially when you get to the book of Revelation, uh, the book of Isaiah, a, a couple other passages of Scriptures that gives us glimpses into, into heaven, what we realize is that um, 
this was part of God's plan. And, and um, it was important to follow God's building plan in regards to the tabernacle because the earthly tabernacle was a copy. It was a copy of the heavenly tabernacle where the Bible tells us that Jesus is now, out, now at ministering to and for us, his people. And this is revealed to us through the book of Revelation. You can go and look there. I think it's in, 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 um, in the first few chapters after the, the letters to the churches. But you get, we get a spectacular glimpse into heaven's tabernacle, to the throne room of God. And when we realize that the tabernacle, including the temple, which we'll read about later on, and all the things that were in them were heavenly copies of better things to come, guys, we understand this principle. There's a basic principle that's being taught to us here. And, and, and the basic principle really is for life, our lives individually, our church as a whole, and also for the individual ministries that God calls us to. Those, those, and that's just that answering God's call, walking in accordance to His good work that He's put before us. And, and, and this principle is that it's revealed to us when we realize that this, when we realize that the tabernacle and the temple were all um, copies of the better things that, to, that were to come. And the basic principle for life and ministry that is being revealed to us is that um, we build according to a heavenly pattern. We build according to a heavenly pattern and not from the pattern of this world. We build according to a heavenly pattern and not according to the pattern of this world. In other words, the world's way of doing things is not the same as God's ways of doing things. Um, in fact, God's ways are most often counterintuitive to the world's way of doing things. And this is pretty much true in regards, as I can see it, in every aspect of life. life. You know, for example, the world's way of doing marriage today is not God's way of doing marriage, Right? Finances. God's way of doing finances is not the world's ways of doing finances. And we, op accord we, we operate in accordance to a heavenly plan and not according to the world's way of doing things. And the Apostle Paul, he addressed this principle in Romans chapter 12 when he said this. He said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so when we live in accordance to God's plan, which is often counterintuitive or completely backwards to the world's way of doing things, Paul says when we're not conformed to the world, when we're transformed by the renewing of our minds into the, the, to God's plan, God's way of doing things, he says then, then you reveal to the world what is the perfect and good and acceptable will of God. Another translation says it like this. It says, do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for your life, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And when we consider the first nine verses of this chapter where God gives us a list of the materials, when we begin to think about doing things God's way, when, when God says, okay, we're going to need this and this and this for the plan, what we understand is that when God was giving the needs for the construction of the tabernacle, and then he told these people, his people to Moses, to go and tell the people to bring these things as an offering, we see that in addition to providing us with God's heavenly plan, okay, that he also provides us with everything that we need. Now think about it. The children of Israel were what in Egypt? They were slaves. 
And, and, and when, when you think about God giving this list, okay, I'm going to need some gold, some silver, all these jewels and all these things, you might go, how are they going to come up with this? Right? And if you've been here studying or you know the, 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 what God did before he brought his people out of Israel, you know this truth. You know that in, in addition to providing us with the heavenly plan, in addition to providing his people with this plan from heaven in regards to the tabernacle and the priesthood, he also provided them with what was needed to construct it. And guys, the Bible tells us it's very true that we can only give to God that which he has given to us first. Since everything that we have, since everything that we have has first come from him. And I love this truth as David expresses it in 1 Chronicles 29. Because David prayed to God and he said this. He said, everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. And when we consider this in light of what God was asking from the Hebrew people, you have to remember, look back to Genesis, or excuse me, um, uh, uh, Exodus chapter 12, where we're told that on the same night that the Hebrew people were delivered out of Egypt, that God made a way for them to plunder the Egyptians. And it wasn't with a sword in their hand. It says that God moved in the hearts and minds of the Egyptian people who had held them, these, the, 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 the children of Israel, as slaves now for 400 years. He worked in their minds so that when the people just went and asked, hey, can you give me all your gold and silver? They said, sure, here, take it. And God made a way. He made a way for him that for his people to have favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and they freely gave them what they requested. And now God was, he wasn't saying, okay, give what's mine to me. I gave it to you. Come on, give it up. It's time, right? <laughs> and, and sometimes that, that can be our thinking, I, I, I think. But, but what God was asking for was a portion, an offering. He says, the, and, and, and only take it from those who want to give it an offering. And God had provided for this and he was asking for a portion of these things that had been given to them to be given as an offering for the construction of the tabernacle. And we know from Exodus chapter 36, I love this, that it came a place where Moses had to stand in front of the people and say, stop giving. You've given too much. We have all that we need. And so God saw to it that they had everything that they need to build the tabernacle. Seth, we're just going to kind of end here if you want to come back up and get ready for the last song. God saw to it that they had everything to need to build the tabernacle just as he designed it. And here's what I love about it. He did this even before they knew that they had this need. That's such a cool thing that God provides for us and even before we know what our need is. And God has promised to do the same for us. In fact, this was something that, that Peter reminded the early church of. And I'm going to end with this this morning in the second letter to the church. And, and, and Apostle Peter, he wrote in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, he says this, guys. He says, To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received faith, a faith as precious as ours. He says, Grace and peace be yours in an abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And he says this, his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory 
and goodness. And I don't know about you, but as I read that, it points me back to the place where we began. To that place of worshipful waiting upon God. Because when we're worshipful, worshipfully waiting on God, you know what happens? Back to where we're at. My knowledge of Him who called me up into His glory is revealing to me. He's revealing to me His plan. He's revealing to me that He can be trustworthy. I'm in the place of prayer. He's showing me what He's equipped me with. How He's going to provide for every one of my needs. And in that place, it says that God has given us everything. In that place of worshipful waitingness, we receive everything that we need for our life and for godliness through our knowledge of Him. Let's pray. Father, I ask God that we would learn how to worshipfully wait on You. God, that we would take these truths from Your Word on how to walk in accordance to Your plan. And God, that they would not fall on a hard heart or deaf ears, God. That we would receive them and that we would even go from this place this morning with love in our hearts and our minds looking for those whom we might serve as we serve You. God, that we would answer the call. That we would no longer live under that, that selfishness and that, that un, the stinginess, Lord, to not give back to You what You've already given to us. God, everything that we have is yours. This life that you've purchased is yours. And may we offer it back, as it tells us in the book of Romans, offer it as a sacrifice to you, which is reasonable, our bodies, our lives as a living sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys stand? We sing last song of worship together.